Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Joy, is from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. It was the second of four sermons during the season of Advent. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. been called a Debbie Downer, or maybe a sullen Stan, or an old sad sack of potatoes. This time of year, it's, it's difficult sometimes being a follower of Jesus, because we're not quite in step with the rest of the world. <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that they, they lit the Uh, the Oregon City Christmas tree. But the church is still in the midst of Advent. We're not yet to the full celebration of of Jesus' birth. And people have all sorts of of Christmas this and and holiday that that they're getting involved with and that they're planning and and all these different parties and things that are going on. But we're still preparing for the arrival of Christ. There was a character on Saturday Night Live a few years ago called Debbie Downer. And she would be at a party or, or at, at, at work or something like that, and somebody would be having a good time, and she would say something depressing, and they would zoom in on the actress's face as the trombone went, wah, wah. And sometimes I feel like that because the rest of the world is ready for for lights and tinsel and glitz and glamour. But I'm not there yet. And the church isn't there yet. God's people aren't there yet because we're still making our way towards the manger, aren't we? We're still preparing for the arrival of Jesus in our hearts. Today we're observing the second Sunday of Advent as joy. It's usually the third. I switch things around a little bit because reasons. Uh, You'll find out sooner than later. Um, But joy is, is a break from everything else because we have hope and we have love and we have peace. But joy is the one that we're supposed to get really excited about. We're supposed to be really joyful. And that's what this Sunday in Advent has all been about, is paying attention to the joy of the Lord. Now, what is joy? I was asked right before service, is joy an emotion? And the quick answer is no. Joy is not an emotion. Because my emotions come and go. I can feel very happy one minute and very sad the next. If I'm watching a soccer match, I can be very happy when a goal is scored, but my favorite team, Fulham, their defense is not that great, and so that goal can be negated very quickly, and so I can go from the heights of of rejoicing to the lows of despair within a matter of moments. Joy is not an emotion because it can't come and go. 
So what is joy? A working definition of joy for the morning is that joy is the delight that comes from a life centered on Jesus. Let me, let me say that one more time. Joy is the delight that comes from a life centered on Jesus. Because we can't know long-lasting delight. We can't know long-lasting happiness apart from Jesus. Because Jesus is the rock on which everything else is built. Jesus is the center. And so knowing all of the security and all of the trust that we have in Jesus and that Jesus has in us, we are able to be joyful. We are able to be happy. We are able to know that God is with us through Jesus. But living in this world is difficult because we get joy mixed up with emotions. And it just gets turned around into something that it's not. And I overthink things. I'm a, I'm a chronic overthinker. This time of year, joy and words like joy and happiness and love, the, the words that we use in the church for, for Advent, for preparing for Jesus, are used to sell us things. I can't watch a commercial without, without going, oh yeah, they're, they're putting together this nice family image because they want me to buy whatever it is that they're going to advertise at the end of the commercial. Katie and I were talking about at the... Uh, Every year there's a British department store named John Lewis that, that puts out these beautiful Christmas advertisements, but it's, it's just to advertise John Lewis department store. You know, Fred Myers does the same thing, and, and so does Safeway and Macy's and, and all of these other places. They're using joy to get you to buy something. And it's cheap and it's easy and it feels good for a little while. It's, it's kind of that saccharine artificial happiness, but then, you know, you have the, the shiny present under the tree, and, and once all the wrapping paper, paper is off of it, and, and the box is open, and, and the item has been removed, well, it's, it's kind of done with, isn't it? On the flip side of it, equally as easy in these times, is cynicism. Cynicism is big right now. I, I think if if you said, you know, what's the spirit of our age? It's cynicism. It's real easy to be cynical, to just doubt that there's anything good out there, that there's anything pure out there, to question the, the, the goodness of, of anything, and to just go around not really enjoying anything, but just kind of spitting on everything. Oh, here's this thing. Here's that thing. It's real easy to just kind of, these days, respond to anything that happens, good or bad, with a resounding, meh. It's a three-letter word, meh. But at the same time, it's too easy to say. 
And then there's the reality of darkness. We all go through dark times. Times that aren't joyful. And what do we do with that? One of the, the, the biblical commandments that's repeated over and over again is be joyful. And we've read a whole armload of scriptures this morning that have the word joy in them, that promise joy from God. And so in this, in this darkness that we live in sometimes, and in the easy happiness of commercialism, and in the cheap cynicism of our age, what do we as followers of Jesus do with joy? Paul, the writer of our scripture this morning, faced a very similar question. Because in his first letter to the church in Corinth, they had all sorts of problems that he was very patiently and kindly trying to work out. They had problems such as everybody wanted to speak in tongues. They had problems like the wealthier people in the church were showing up early for communion and eating all the food and drinking all the wine so that when the poorer folks showed up, there wasn't anything left for them and the, the richer people were drunk. He was dealing with problems like that, but he dealt with it very patiently. Second Corinthians, he gets a little bit more terse as the letter goes on. But the issue that he's dealt with in the passage that we read this morning is they've seen and heard news of how he's going around from place to place, from town to town, spreading the good news that Jesus is Lord, and sometimes he gets arrested, and sometimes he gets beat up, and sometimes he gets thrown in prison. And if I, your humble pastor, were sometimes getting arrested and beat up and thrown in prison, my hope is that it would be because I was preaching the gospel, not because I did something completely moronic, but, but that... My hope would be that you would be proud to say that, that I was your pastor, that I was being arrested for the gospel. But we're worldly people. We still struggle with this. And the Corinthian church said, hey, look, if this guy's going to be our leader, he, he's got to step up his act a little bit. He can't be running around, getting arrested, and getting thrown in jail, and getting beat up. We want him to be a little bit... Uh, a little bit more prestigious than that. We want him to be a little bit more honorable than that. You know, who is this guy always, you know, who is he to tell us about, about Jesus or what we ought to believe getting, getting thrown in prison? And he also dealt with the reverse problem where if he was too fancy, if he was writing them beautiful letters and using some of the, the exquisite language that Paul is, is capable of using in his writings, they'd say, who does this guy think he is? Wandering around, collecting money from churches. Who do, where does he get off? What gives him the right? So Paul is dealing with all of this. But he wants to make a few things very clear. And the thing that he wants to make clear 
is that no matter what, Jesus is the center of his ministry. And when we take the principle of Jesus being the center and applying it to our lives, we get a good view of what our lives ought to look like as followers of Jesus, and we get a glimpse of joy. Because remember that joy is the delight that comes from a life centered on Jesus. Joy is not dependent on us. Joy comes from being filled with Jesus. Paul has a great description for who we are as followers of Jesus. And he says that we are clay pots. Any archaeologist will tell you that clay pots were nothing special. Any archaeological site they dig up has loads of, of fragments of clay pots. And sometimes they can tell how old a site is by what kind of clay, what kind of pottery they're finding there. They weren't expensively made. They were rather cheaply made because they were the, the corrugated cardboard box of the day, if you will. How many of you have corrugated cardboard boxes in a closet at home? In, uh, in August and September, I saw a lifetime's worth of corrugated cardboard boxes. I don't want to have to pack things into a corrugated cardboard box for a very long time. But what they had not invented corrugated cardboard yet, and so they had clay pots. And when they needed to transport water, clay pots. When they needed to transport food, clay pots. When they needed to transport things, clay pots. They were versatile, they were available, but they were also fragile. So the clay pots, he likens to us. Because it doesn't matter who we are on the outside. It doesn't matter what's going on on the, on the appearance. It matters that we're filled with Jesus. We're breakable. And I'm not just talking about our, our bodies. I'm talking about our, our emotions, our, our spiritual and mental health. We're, we're fragile people. We get hurt. We get sick. We get sad. We get anxious. We get nervous. But the question is, are we filled with Jesus? Because if we're filled with Jesus, we can experience this joy of knowing that our fragility doesn't matter, that Jesus matters. If we look at Jesus, which Paul implores us to do here, we see the life that Jesus lived, and we still see that Jesus was joyful, that Jesus constantly had his eyes not on the present circumstances, but on the glory to come. Paul lists off a load of troubles that he faces, but he's, he's never overcome by them. And likewise, Jesus had some incredible highs in his ministry. 
he sends out 72 to go ahead of him, and they, they report back, and they say, you know, we, we saw people were healed in your name, and demons were cast out in your name, and, and, and the kingdom came because of your name. And it says that Jesus was filled with joy and began, began speaking and proclaiming the goodness of God. But we also know that Jesus preached and he taught and people walked away from him. After one particularly difficult teaching in John chapter 5 where he talked about the reality of, of his body and blood and what they really meant, he lost a ton of followers. All of his disciples upon his arrest, scattered. John was at the foot of the cross, yes, but he was nowhere to be found in the garden. But Jesus remained joyful, and he remained focused ultimately on what was to come rather than the present circumstances. And Paul says that his life and our lives experience the death of Christ many times over so that we can experience the life of Christ. That we constantly are dying to one thing or another. To difficulties in life, to disappointments in life, to sadness in life. But we're also dying to expectations on us to unrealistic expectations. We're dying to the idea of pleasing people. That's what I struggle with. Dying to the idea of pleasing people rather than trying to please God. So that new life can come to us through Jesus. So that joy can come to us through Jesus. And Paul says that our outer lives the life that we have now is going to face all sorts of troubles and dilemmas and, and, and all of this. But that our inner life, the relationship that we have with Jesus, places us firmly in the hands of God. When Jesus was crucified... He was crucified on Friday and he was raised on Sunday. But what happened in between? He was held in the hands of God. And so are we. Because no matter what we go through in our lives, we are held in the hands of God. And so we have all of these troubles. We have all of these things we face. But we can still experience joy and delight in Jesus because we know ultimately that our joy comes from Jesus, not from anything in the world. We can be happy with things in the world. If I'm hungry and you feed me, I'm plenty happy, and that's okay. We can enjoy music, and we can enjoy sunsets, and we can enjoy artwork and television shows 
and we can enjoy building things and repairing cars if that's your deal. And that's all right because those things are good and, and those things bring us joy and they point to a creative God who created the whole world. But those things aren't the end in and of themselves. Those things help us to be joyful in God, but they're not our God. And neither are the disappointments and defeats and sicknesses and and problems that we have. Those aren't our God either. But we can still be joyful in those times because we see the example of Jesus who remained joyful even through the difficult times of his life. You might have an objection at this point and say, there's things that stand in the way of joy. There's things that stand in the way of me experiencing that joy in the Lord. And one thing I want to point out in particular uh, is mental health. Um, There's been quite a conversation over the past few years about the importance of mental health. At Young Church one night, a young lady who was there as a, as a guest of some other friends said, I don't know anyone who doesn't struggle with anxiety. Teenagers, their lives ahead of them. And they're all struggling with anxiety. Mental health is something that makes it difficult sometimes for people to experience the full joy and happiness of the Lord. And that's okay. Because sometimes it's difficult to see that. When the the skies are all gray and the sun's covered up, it's difficult to remember that above that layer of cloud, the sun still shines. It's difficult to see that. And so there's no shame for a follower of Jesus in admitting that your mental health, your anxiety, your depression, your worry, your nervousness has to be dealt with. Because that can clear the way for us to see Jesus even better. Joy, the delight in the world, or in the Lord. Joy can be a difficult thing if you think that this world is all there is, that this present age of cheap happiness and easy cynicism is all there is. But C.S. Lewis, I was reading this week, talked about joy as a longing, a longing for something else. And what we know and what we anticipate in Advent is the bodily return of Christ to earth, that the dead in Christ will rise and that Christ will return to stand on this earth 
to reign and rule forever. And if that is true, which it is, which I have seen no reason to doubt the veracity of that statement, if that's true, then joy is something that goes deeper than these circumstances. Paul says that your troubles are a small and passing thing because this age of the world is not the end. That we can put our faith and our trust in the in that Jesus is coming and know that we will have joy everlasting. And we can live joyfully now knowing that we will live joyfully forever in the light of the Lord. It's a time of joy. It's a time of happiness. It's a time of knowing that God is on his throne, that Jesus has come once, that Jesus is coming again, and that we can live our lives every day knowing that Jesus is the center and that Jesus is responsible for our every delight. Amen? Amen. Amen.